Welcome back to Bible Love. We are wrapping up Deuteronomy today. And today is Thursday, September 9th, the feast day for Constance and her companions, the martyrs of Memphis. So the colic for today, let us pray. We give you thanks and praise, O God of compassion, for the heroic witness of the martyrs of Memphis, who in a time of plague and pestilence were steadfast in their care for the sick and dying and love not their own lives, even unto death. Inspire in us a like love and commitment to those in need, following the example of our Savior Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 We are so glad to be with y'all. I'm I'm in Idaho, so it's early here. Um, and I tried to sit outside so you could see the mountains, but it's about 45 degrees outside and it was too cold. So but we are so glad y'all are here with us. And especially today, because we have a joint friend of Alan and I's on the podcast, someone we love dearly, um, the Reverend Katie Nakamura Ringers. Katie, we're so glad you're here. Um, a little bit about Katie. She is the staff officer for church planning for the National Episcopal Church. So she works for the presiding bishop, Michael Curry, who we all think is so cool. Um, and she's just as cool. Um, Katie and I have a great um, relationship. We were colleagues in the Diocese of Alabama and actually same, served the same church right out of seminary, St. Michael's in Fayette. So Shout out to all our St. Michael's folks, if any of y'all are listening. And Katie, we're so glad you're here with us today. So thank you for joining us. Um, hey, we are going Thanks, Alan. We're going to talk about the end of Deuteronomy today. Finish it up. Um, and so there's a lot that happens, right? Moses gives away a lot of his final thoughts before um, he unfortunately dies at the ripe old age of 120 years old. Um, so what thoughts do y'all have? And Katie, I'd love for you to start us off, if you don't mind, um, with the work you do and how this this story might engage with some of that work. Gosh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I I kind of had dueling thoughts when I started reading this passage from Deuteronomy. Um, first, it's like, whoa, Moses was 120 years old. It's time for that guy to move on. Um, <laughs> and then, um, but then the other thought was, um, I think God, you know, actually says to him, you are not going to cross over the Jordan. Like, sorry, that 120 years of prophecy and leadership and getting bitten by locusts and eating, you know, manna in the desert, um, leading the complaining people of Israel through the wilderness. You're not going to see the fruit of that. Too bad. I know. Um, it's, I know. That's what you think. It's like, well, wow. Like, what a shame. What kind of a harsh um what a harsh thing to say. And I wonder, it doesn't say this, but it makes me wonder if Moses was, um, I don't know if he was put off, but if he was disappointed and not being able to see the real fruit of that labor. Um, I would be, wouldn't y'all? 
Right. I mean, that was also that he put up with a lot of complaining too um, from those folks for a long time. You know, right. all that grumbling. Or if, you know, or maybe if you asked Moses, um, are you disappointed? Or is it possible that he would have said, um, you know, no, like I've lived a good long life and I've actually seen the transformation in these people that I feel like I wanted to see. Um, I don't know. You know, we see a lot of we see a lot of this in the church. I think about this a good bit in church planting um, because we're always in church planting. We're always trying to create something new. Um, and we can get that sort of like Joshua foresight, like always looking to the future, always looking to the promised land um, and forgetting the benefit of our ancestors in faith and in ministry um, and the transformations that they helped guide the church through. Yeah. This is a pretty important. I mean, Moses is one of those, I mean, prophets that everybody knows, whether you're, you know, Jewish, Christian, or no, no, uh, no affiliation at all. I mean, this was a big deal. And so that Moses really has given them a lot. But in the end, these sort of three things that, that were really, here's what I'm going to leave with you, right? Mm-hmm. A book, Moses's song, which people would be very familiar with if they're Episcopalian, because if you do morning prayer, it's, um, it's there. Um, and this blessing, you know, these were he; these were his parting gifts, sort of, wouldn't you say? What do you think, Alan? Yeah, I think, you know, to go back, I love the phrase where it says, the Lord said to Moses, your time to die is near. Right. And so Moses, it, that's in 3114. So. Do we know when our time to die is near? I don't. I don't really know when to give up. Right. Like, do we hold on to things too long? We see it in clergy sometimes who hold on too long. We see it in people in their lives. They hold on too long here. Yeah. God actually speaking to Moses and saying that. But this whole time, Moses, with God's urging, had been setting up the structures, had been training, you know, apprenticing Joshua, bringing people along for the journey. And so then he gets to this point to where, you know, I think these things that Moses is leaving, this book, this song, and this blessing, it's not like, like it may be for me, right? Like when it's my time to go, I'm going to cling to whatever it is for dear life and, and have to be forced out. Moses has planned, right? Like this song, this blessing, these are thought out, right? He was figuring out. What am I going to say to these people? Because my time is coming to an end and I'm handing off the baton to the next person. And so here's the parting words. And so to me, this is about succession planning, right? Which I don't think we in the church do too terribly well in general. Um, That's a place we could work. So what? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a place we could work. And so what can we learn through Moses about? He'd been setting this thing up the whole time. Right before we we got on, Katie and Mary Balfour were talking about they both served um, a church in Alabama, right, that sees its mission as raising up um, leaders, right, a training place. And so they take recent seminary graduates, make them a rector, give them all that responsibility and authority. And so that's a Moses model, right? It's a place that sees their role. They know 
their life is not going to revolve around whoever the next rector is. Absolutely. They know their life of faith goes beyond that. And it's encompassed Katie. It's encompassed Mary Balfour. My, you know, I was a curate, which is a baby priest in the diocese of Texas that has a similar program. We're not priest in charge or rectors, but my congregation, I serve St. Mary's in Houston. They had, they have a succession of curates. They, they had a rector for a long time, but they saw their role as raising up new clergy. And so, you know, one of the bishops of Texas was a predecessor. The dean of the cathedral in Oklahoma City is one of my predecessors. The rector of St. Martin's in Keller is me, right? <laughs> Not that that's important at all. But St. Mary's spends two years forming these folks who go on to take on a mantle of leadership, kind of like y'all's place in Alabama and kind of like Moses has been doing with Joshua. Right. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, go ahead, Katie. Please. Well, yeah, it, it's interesting what's not in these passages. Um, I, I mean, Moses, Moses leaves the, the people of Israel with this, um, with this song and blessing, but, but you don't get a chapter where he gives Joshua like a big mouthful of instructions, right? He doesn't tell them exactly how they're supposed to conquer the promised land. He doesn't tell, oh, Joshua, you're going to, you're going to now need to gather 70 elders around you to help you govern. No, it's, you know, Joshua, like I'm passing on the mantle to you. Um, if you, maybe if you need some wisdom or some blessing, like I'm willing to give it, but I, I can't tell you exactly how to, um, how to guide this ship at this point. Like it's up to you. And there's something about leader, the passing on of leadership that's really about trust um, and the and the the leader that's passing on. Right. Um, kind of doing some work within themselves about how am I going to how am I going to let this go? How am I going to trust that this next generation um, will guide the church in, in the way that it needs to go in the future? I think that's an excellent point. I mean, it's called faith, you know, but it's really hard to to pull that up and, and, and have that. Um, and that's why I think places like St. Michael's and St. Mary's, they have such faith and they, they, they are about who they are. Right. And that's what maybe what Moses was trying to convey here as well is that there, God said, Joshua is the person and I'm going to have faith in you and we'll see what happens. And a lot does happen right afterwards and life goes on and ministry goes on. Um, we all three of us have had to leave places that we loved to go do something new, right? Because we felt it was time to have a new leadership and new people, not only for ourselves, but for the places we were leaving as well. We had to find that faith and that trust, which is not always easy to do mm -hmm. because we have a lot of ownership around it. So I wonder what Moses was thinking, even though he knew it was the time of his death. Um, which in some way is a godsend, you know, that I wish we all could have that. And maybe when you're old, you, you do know and you do feel ready and all of that. Um, he, he just had to trust that all the work that he had done would continue on. So, right. And, and, well, then, and then there's this piece. Mary Balfour or Alan, I can't remember which of you said this earlier. Um but you were kind of referencing that it's not, it's also not just about Joshua and Moses, right? There's, there's other leaders in that community like that, the, the sort of the nation of Israel at this point, it's sustainable without one heroic 
person. Um, and like, I'll, I'll never forget Mary Balfour when I was at St. Michael's. Oh, this is probably three or four months into my time there as, as rector. Um, I got a stomach virus on Saturday night and by Sunday, you know, by Sunday morning, it was just obvious. I was not going to make the drive to the church. I was driving 80 miles. Um, it was just not happening. And so I called Beth, who was the senior warden at the time. I was like, oh, Beth, I'm so sorry, but there's no way I can do church. Maybe I can find a supply priest, but it's really late in the game. I don't know. What are you guys going to do? Can you survive without me? (laughs) And she's like, oh, it's okay. I'll just preach. Amazing. Right. I mean, that's this constant reminder to me that like, yes, like that, that clergy person, that priest, that prophet Moses, right? They're important, but um, even more important is the community having the leadership and the sustainability, the relationships, the networks, the faith in their own ability to like preach the word of God, um, to lead the people in the prayers. That's what makes it sustainable. Oh, I love that, Katie. I mean, I think a lot of times on the Bible love podcast. I mean, we don't mean to do it, but we have a lot of priests as our guests, you know, and there's lots of things in the Bible that point towards the priest as leadership, you know, but I think what we try to do often is do just what you said, you know, we come and go, you know, we we're, I'm on my third parish, fourth, if you count my little interim stint as at Christchurch Fairfield. Um, Alan is in his third call. You're in your third or fourth. I'm not sure, but, you know, we come and go, you know, and those people stay forever and it's their church home and their leadership is what thrives. And also I feel like as I try to engage people in ministry, and this is what Moses was doing and Joshua will do, I know their relationship with God will deepen if they are involved in that ministry. Right. I mean, that's just a proven thing. I'm sure Alan, you're seeing that in your new parish. I know, Katie, you see that in your in the church planning world. I mean, their relationship flourishes when they do this ministry. And that's what Moses was trying to say is this gift of this blessing and this song. And, you know, um, you you can do this. You got it. You know what this makes me think of um, is George Washington's farewell address. Right. And, you know, everyone knows the bit from Hamilton where. President Washington is like, I don't think I ever intentionally screwed up, but I probably did. So please forgive me. But there's this one line in the farewell address that speaks to exactly what you're talking about. Washington writes, interwoven as is the love of liberty with every ligament of your hearts. No recommendation of mine is necessary to fortify or conform, confirm the attachment. And so what I hear President Washington saying is, We've built this thing of liberty and justice and all of this. And that's so deep within your being. I don't need to be here anymore. Right. Our country didn't depend on a person remaining president. The idea is what remained. And so when we plant churches or when you're 50 years later and you're the fourth rector, right, is that spirit of the congregation so interwoven in every ligament, to use Washington's terms, of this congregation or of this church plant. So that when, you know, church planters are often personalities, right? And they can attract crowds and they can do, and that's good. But when that's all that it is, that's when things can can 
go south or any rector when that rector is such a big personality or doesn't share leadership or whatever the faults may be that they don't allow the spirit to be interwoven in every ligament of the congregation that when that person leaves the whole thing falls apart yeah right there's actually a great podcast by christianity today right now called the rise and fall of mars hill that tells that yeah. exactly story right yeah, I was, yeah, and that's really fascinating. I'll link to it. And it talks about mm-hmm. like at the start of Mars Hill, right? They did have kind of a shared leadership model. And then um, Mark Driscoll got, you know, we all have flaws and his were exposed kind of on a grand scale. He took control of a lot of leadership on his own. And then things started to unravel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, just- I I don't want to ignore in this in this passage too that um, in the Song of Moses, some of that unraveling is actually predicted. Uh, I mean, my first, second, and third reading of this passage, <laughs> I was kind of dismayed, um, and I bet Moses was kind of dismayed too to say, "Oh gosh!" And one, Moses, once you're gone, you know, <laughs> things are really going to hit the fan. Um, and the people are going to run after false gods and it's going to be terrible for a while. Um, oh, but that's okay. Cause I'm going to fill you up with this blessing as well. I mean, it's, just, it's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah. And um, my reading of Deuteronomy uh, and what we learned in seminary has always been that, remember, this wasn't just for the, the ancient Israelites in the time of Moses. This was also um, for the people who were hearing it at the time it was written, um, which would have been some of the, this ending piece would have been during the monarchy, maybe even parts of it during the exile. So they're, they're, uh, the, the people of Israel are looking at their current circumstance. Let's say it was like exiled in Babylon through the story of Moses um, and trying to understand, gosh, how did we get into so much trouble? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really essential is they're trying to make sense of their world. A lot of scripture, particularly the the Hebrew Bible, is folks in their present circumstances using their past stories to make sense of the world. Right. It's not like someone was was there with Adam and Eve writing down what they were doing. Mm -hmm. It was someone a long time later trying to figure out. And same thing here. Why are we exiled? Right. Why are my friends being killed? Why are there plague and pestilence and famine why are there whatever and they can look back and see oh we had it all figured out with moses maybe but then trying to trace that history and you know god said this is the the consequences of disobedience so then they think where was i disobedient how do i become obedient again so i can get those blessings that were promised through moses yeah you can see in real time people wrestling with that you know uh, Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, bloated, and gorged. He abandoned God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. Like These are hard words to say. Guys, this is going to happen. Y'all are all going to, we're all going to screw up again. But at the end, it comes back around that God is faithful. God is holding up God's end of the covenant. And God yearns for us to hold up our end of the covenant. Hmm. And, you know, and it ends, the book of Deuteronomy ends with this whole chapter dedicated to the death of Moses, which is really beautiful um, in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I wish we all could sort of 
envision our death in that way, even though it's on the top of a mountain, which might have been a little bit uncomfortable of a place to die. But, you know, it's it's um, it's all written for people to read many thousands and thousands and thousands of years later. And, you know, God, God does say exactly how this is going to happen, which is sort of a gift if you think about it um, in, in a way. What are y'all's thoughts on that final chapter? Wow. Yeah. And then where is it? Where do we get that little bit about um, is it in here? And I just missed it. Never again. Will there arise a prophet like Moses? I mean, what a- yeah, that's the. The very end. Um, Obituary. Yeah. In, in thirty four ten, never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Yeah. He was un he was unequaled. I know. And then that written about you. I know. Yeah. And then it comes up so many in, in so many other chapters in the Bible. I mean, in Hebrews, it says the book of Hebrews tells us that Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, doing what God required of him. I mean, you know, over and over, this isn't the end of Moses. This might be the end of Moses's life, but Moses is referenced so often. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. wouldn't you love that said about you? You know, right? Yeah. But it, at the same time, right? Like it talks about where Moses died. Yeah. But we don't know where he's buried. And so right, we can't go venerate this land where this dead guy is. We have the stories. We have the idea of Moses who knew God face to face was unequaled, but we can't go pay homage. And so part of me there is like, how do we as leaders and congregations build something so that like people don't have to come back to us and say, you know, right to where it exists and, you know, our fingerprints are on it and all of that, but we're differentiated enough maybe. And maybe I'm reading too much into the fact that we just don't know where Moses is buried. Well, I think, but I think to me, it says a lot. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's a coincidence. Like, I, I think there's something to be said with that so that people couldn't go back and lift Moses up higher than God. Um, you know, there's there's something to be said about that, because we do. We've talked about St. Paul's Pendleton before, but this is this parish in the diocese of Upper South Carolina, Katy, and. Um, it's near Clemson and like the Mr. Clemson is buried there. I mean, you know, and people come mm. and pay homage to it and, you know, all of that. And, and that's great, but there's something kind of special about not knowing exactly where Moses is buried because then we can't go back and pay that homage because the homage really should go to God and not to Moses because Moses was a great faithful servant but Moses was not God. Right. Right. You know, I was, um, had the honor of being involved in funeral planning with a friend who is older and is preparing for his own death. You know, maybe that'll be in 10 years, maybe in 20 years. Um, and you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll be the, the efficient, maybe not. Um, but but he was doing this as as kind of a spiritual exercise and as a healing exercise. Um, and what was really touching about it is that there's a space that he had planned for remembrances, which I assume is family members and friends can stand up and tell a uplifting story or a funny story. Um, but then that's followed by a moment of where he's going to give us a question to 
reflect on. He, got, he hadn't come up with a question. But it's kind of like, it, you know, but it's going to be a future oriented question, you know, like what about my life um, is like inspiring you like to go forward from this place? What about, you know, this reflection is going to um, compel you to live life differently after you leave this funeral? How um, amazing. Isn't, yeah, it's yeah. kind of amazing. And I think about that with Moses, right? It's not, I, I like how you said that, Alan, it's not about coming back to a spot and venerating him for thousands of years later. Um, how do these words like leave us with a launching point for how to live a little bit differently, how to be a bit more faithful, um, how to make it through some of those times of calamity that Moses is predicting are going to come. Yeah, and I think like, what we know of Moses, mm -hmm. that he was a man on the move, right? Like they don't stand still, they're journeying the whole time. And so it would like he would roll over in his grave, maybe if he knew that people were coming back to one spot because they thought this spot was magical. And like I get people do that for, you know, pilgrimage is important to folks. But we Moses is carried with us. right? We don't have to go to a place. Mm -hmm. The spirit of Moses is carried with us. Right. Just, you know, Jesus talks about this some and it's kind of evident throughout scripture is we're not a we're not a people that have to have, God is not confined to one spot, right? And so that my, Moses is kind of a microcosm of this, but it used to be that God was in a spot and everyone went to the temple and, and did that thing there. And then that fell apart, literally. And God is everywhere we take him. There's altars in the world. There's altars in coffee shops, right? There's altars in trailers is where this place started, where I am. There's, God is not confined to one space. Oh, I love that. Well, I, I can't think of a better way to wrap this up other than to say thank you, God, for the gift of Moses and the gift of Katie joining us today. It means a lot to us, Katie, that you were here and that you shared your thoughts. And I also am just grateful to reconnect with you. And I'm grateful for the ministry you do of helping us move leadership, to new places and to include new people in God's world. So thank you for what you do, Katie. Thank and all you, of you listeners. Thanks, yeah, we're just so glad you were here. And all of you listeners, just remember that we love you, but most importantly, God does. Mm -hmm.